So before we get into the heavy episode, uh, fun fact. I found out that bananas release uh, ethylene, which ripens fruit faster. So if there's like one rotting banana, it will end up ripening the other fruit faster enough to the point that it eventually rots all of them. But we can talk about it another time. We have an episode to do. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. As always, I'm Megan. I'm Jason. And I'm Chris, and I'm back for another few episodes. We took a few weeks off recently in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests happening all across the world. We have donated it on our own and in the name of FastPast. We have been tackling racism in our own families and friend groups. We have been signing petitions. We've been doing our part behind the scenes. Um, but Jason and I sat down and thought through what else we could do to help. And I mean, it was pretty clear what we had to do. We had to use this platform to educate others on why these protests and why this movement is happening. Because some people don't understand, and I believe it is because they haven't been educated, either by choice or because of the American education system. If I look back on my journey in historical education, it is truly lacking in so many areas. But not only did it lack, it didn't teach. Jason and I both had the same fifth grade teacher, and while she was great in teaching ancient civilizations and indigenous populations, when we got to the section on slavery, it was different. I remember learning that it happened. Not that it was wrong, but just that it was a fact. It happened. It's not happening now. Good. But I remember slave revolts were taught as awful things because slaves killed white people. And back then, in my ignorance, I thought the same. When I should have been taught how many white slave owners killed and brutalized their slaves. And so slave revolts made sense. Those actions were justified. But I wasn't taught that. Because that's how America intended for us to learn about it. It wasn't until high school that I started to think for myself and really understand the biases in my own education. And when I got to college and joined the honors program is when I actually learned a small portion of the actual history about black experiences. But it took me that long and even then it didn't teach me nearly enough. Black lives and black history, real, true, brutally honest history has been purposefully hidden from our American education. We have been taught to think one way and most of us end our historical education at the end of high school. Racism was built into the fabric of our nation. Our country grew with racism and with the help of racism. It has only intensified throughout the years, taking on different forms. If racism didn't exist, then why are we chanting to build a wall between us and Mexico when Mexico has done nothing wrong to the United States? If racism didn't exist, then why are we keeping immigrant children in modern-day concentration camps to be raped, poisoned, and beaten? If racism didn't exist, why are police disproportionately killing black and brown people? If racism didn't exist, why are prisons filled to the brim with black and brown people doing years for minor crimes like possession, but Brock Turner, who raped an unconscious woman behind a dumpster was found and found very guilty of his crime, got off with only six months? If racism didn't exist, why do we take all the white mass shooters alive, but shoot and kill any black or brown person that seems quote-unquote threatening? There is a lot of hatred and just shit currently out in the air and I feel like I need to air a few grievances. Foremost, the all lives matter shit has to stop because it's not true and we know it. Meg just talked about kids being taken from their parents at the border. Chris on a previous episode talked about how black families were forced out of white neighborhoods. And if that isn't enough to make your stomach turn, don't forget about the lynching of slaves back in that time or about the lynching of black people during the times of Jim Crow. The lady who claimed she was sexually harassed by 14-year-old Emmett Till has been interviewed in 2017, stating that her claims were false. She falsely claimed sexual harassment from a child, and it led to the death of this poor boy, who was probably just minding his own business. 
today there are still people who are willing to call the cops on a person of color if they so much as even think that there is a chance of wrongdoing. This is a point in time that will go down in American history. It is up to you to decide if you stand for or against racism. Because this isn't a political issue. This is a race issue. So before you get ready to say all lives matter, think to yourself, would they still really be protesting, fighting, and dying if that were the case? So in an effort to be a source to educate people, we decided to do our episode on how slavery never ended. And today's episode drew complete inspiration from the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. The Legacy Museum documents how slavery never truly ended in the United States, but it took on different forms. It transformed into Jim Crow, militant policing of minor minority communities, mass incarceration, and police brutality and the murder of unarmed black people. If anyone has a chance to go see the exhibition, I would recommend it wholeheartedly. And while you're there, you should stop by the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. It's a sombering experience, one that left me touched to my core. Slavery was an enormous business when the U.S. was a British colony. We know for a fact that the first Africans that were brought to the British colonies were brought in 1619 from a Dutch ship. While the kidnapped Africans were intended to go to Mexico, the British took the ship and brought it off the shores of Jamestown. The 20 Africans were, quote, put to work for, uh, unquote, for the company that owned Jamestown. And there began slavery in the United States. There was first a tobacco boom, which brought more indentured servants, but also slaves as well, to Virginia. As the colony grew, so did their desire for slaves. Now, we mentioned that indentured servants were brought to the colonies, and they were pretty much short-term slaves who gained benefits of land at the end of their contract. Quickly, I want to mention why we moved to slavery so quickly. In short, the Englishmen thought that the work they were doing was too degrading for them. It was harsher than the indentured servitude they faced in England, so the supply of this type of labor ran pretty dry pretty quickly. Now, I feel like I have to mention here that the institution of slavery as we know it didn't just happen overnight. It was calculated. In the beginning, in the 1640s, in Virginia, slaves sometimes had the same benefits of indentured servants. The book American Slavery, American Freedom by Edmund S. Morgan mentions that, quote, some were undoubtedly slaves in our sense of the term, that is, they are and their offspring were treated as the property of other people. But some were free or became free. Some were servants or became servants. And all servants, slaves, or free enjoyed rights that were later denied to all. But that was short-lived. It may have happened, but so many will look at that minority and try to validate the disgusting institution. Now back to it. The British colony began to buy more and more kidnapped people when the Middle Passage was introduced. The Middle Passage was part of what is called the Triangle Trade. And bear with me if you already know this, but some people don't. The Triangle Trade explained the system of how goods moved from Europe to Africa, then enslaved Africans were sent through the water route to the Americas, i.e. the Middle Passage. And then the British colonies would then send goods back to Great Britain. It was a deadly cycle. It is estimated that 12 to 15 million Africans went through the Middle Passage to the Americas. The majority of slaves did not actually come to the present-day United States. 41% of them went to Brazil, but estimates range from 425,000 to 600,000 actually landed here. 20% of the original 20 million Africans that were forced to live in unlivable conditions of a slave ship died 
before they even reached land. This is a quote from one of the survivors. Quote, I was soon put down under the decks, and there I received such a salutation in my nostrils as I had never experienced in my life, uh, so that the, with, loath with the loathsome of the stench and crying together, I became so sick and low that I was not able to eat, nor had I least desire to taste anything. I now wished for the last friend, death, to relieve me." End quote. Some tried to commit suicide. But even that right was stripped from them, because human cargo was money, and they needed to sell them alive to make that money. And that was just on the Middle Passage. Their fight wasn't over once they reached the shores. It had only just begun. The British colonists soon enacted laws ensuring that all African slaves remained that, even through their children. A law was passed in 1662 that said that the status of slave or free was determined by the mother's status thereby creating more slaves without having to buy them via the triangle trade. William Wells Brown talked about how we forcibly forgot the history of slavery in the United States. And, and I can back this one up. See, I've searched through multiple college libraries and databases trying to find some kind of book, journal, or document that discussed the brutalization that occurred in slavery in detail. I wanted a source to back up what I already knew, which was that slavery is a dehumanizing system that allowed white people to treat others as they pleased. And if we learned anything throughout the years, it's this. People are awful, and given the chance and power, as we saw through the Stanford Prison Experiment, they will use violence for fun. There are indescribable things that happen to black women, men, and children during slavery and beyond. And to quote William Wells Brown, quote, We approach the history of slavery by way of whispers and shadows, where truth has often been hidden in half-truth in order to be saved away for the future. We approach it, that is to say, across a field of argument in which the history of slavery has often been conscripted to the economic, political, and imperial purposes that have hidden inside the word freedom, end quote. So needless to say, the worst thing you can think of people doing was done and more. But let's move on to when we first start seeing cracks in the institution of slavery, the Revolutionary War. This was a time where white slave owners were crying out for freedom and liberty while owning slaves who had neither. When the Americans cried out for freedom, it was freedom for white landowners. When Americans cried out for liberty, it was liberty for white landowners. In fact, some white slave owners actually, quote, downplayed the Declaration of Independence sometimes to the point of ignoring it altogether because its natural rights ideology might prove instructive to their chattels. Instead, they emphasized the Constitution with its protections of property held in humans as the iconic document of the day, end quote. So it made sense that during the Revolutionary War, the British soldiers appealed to these slaves with the prospect of freedom if they joined. A decree from Lord Dunmore said, quote, and I hereby further declare all indentured servants, Negroes, or others appertaining to rebels free that are able and willing to bear arms, they joining His Majesty's troops as soon as may be for the more speedily reducing the colony to a proper sense of their duty to this Majesty's crown and dignity." End quote. They were offering freedom for fighting, and had Great Britain won, well, well, we'll never know if they would have held up their end of the bargain, but this is a moment where enslaved people saw a way out of this awful institution. 
It is estimated that 100,000 slaves either escaped, died, or were killed in the Revolutionary War. And slaves didn't just fight on the side of the quote-unquote enemy. About 20,000 slaves fought for the colonies. It wasn't until Washington had less than 18,000 troops left in the winter of 1778 that he approved a regiment of free black men and slaves. And it should be noted that many runaway slaves that did help the British didn't gain their freedom anyway. They were usually sold back into slavery in the Caribbean. See, it was all a game. Now, before we move on to the Civil War, we have to talk about how the United States policed slaves in the South so that we can draw parallels to our current situation with police and black men, women, and children. Let's start with slave patrols. The Law Enforcement Museum has listed them as one of the first forms of policing. Oh, say that again. The Museum of Law Enforcement? You heard me. Hmm. (laughs) You'd think they would try to hide their race's upbringings a little bit more, wouldn't you? Oh, well, why hide it when the United States doesn't care and will back the police no matter what? Their oath was, quote, I, patroller's name do swear that I will, as searcher for guns, swords, and other weapons among the slaves in my district, faithfully and as privately as I can, discharge the trust reposed in me as the law directs, to the best of my power. So help me God. That was the oath of South Carolina slave patrollers in 1828. And just for a little context here, the Revolutionary War ended in 1783, and the Civil War began in 1861. So that period in between was filled with immense racial tension. It was filled with the fear of slave rebellions. So those white owners needed someone to help keep them in power. And that was the slave patrol. The slave patrols were, quote, one of the earliest and most prolific forms of early policing in the South. The responsibility of patrols was straightforward to control the movements and behaviors of enslaved populations, end quote. According to historian Gary Potter, slave patrols served three main functions, quote, to chase down, apprehend, and return uh, the slaves to their owners, these runaway slaves. Two, to provide a form of organized terror to deter slave revolts. And three, to maintain a form of discipline for slave workers who were subject to uh, to summary justice outside the law. Organized policing was one of the many types of social controls imposed on enslaved African Americans in the South. Physical and psychological violence took many forms, including an overseer's brutal whip, the intentional breakup of families, deprivation of food, and other necessities, and the private employment of slave catchers to track down runaways. Slave patrols were no less violent in their control of African Americans. They beat and terrorized as well. Their distinction was that they were legally compelled to do so by local authorities. In this sense, it was considered a civic duty, one that in some areas could result in a fine if avoided. In others, patrollers received financial compensation for their work." And just another little gem from the Law Enforcement Museum's website, quote, Most law enforcement was, by definition, white patrolmen watching, catching, or beating black slaves, end quote. So, yeah, that's where the police got their start in the United States. Some people would like to think that it was actually early forms of militias, but early forms of militias was more like the beginning of an organized military in the United States. Let's now move on to the Civil War for a bit. There's a lot of history that is happening in between here, but for time's sake, we'll be jumping a little. And we all know what the Civil War was fought over. Slavery. Slavery. States' rights. Wait, 
<laughs> That's not right at all. No, actually, if you think that the Civil War was fought over states' rights, someone's been whitewashing your education. The vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Hamilton Stevens... Trying to taint his name, we love to see it. Well, I mean, actually, he owned slaves, so... Alexander Hamilton, like the musical, and Alexander Hamilton Stevens, so you T- can taint it. T. Taint it. <laughs> well, Alexander Hamilton Stevens is quoted saying about the Confederacy, quote, Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite ideas as those of slavery foes. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. That slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. End quote. He went further. The battle over slavery, quote, was the immediate cause of the late rupture and present revolution. Yeah, so that's what we should have been learning in uh, our American education, so we would all have known that. Mm-hmm. Unless you were taught that, you know, the war was called the uh, War of Northern Aggression. Mm, in which case, now you know. What you were taught was a load of crap. But let's break this down a little more because I want everyone to know what we're, where we're going here. America and the American way of life has been built off the institution of racism and on the backs of these poor Africans and indigenous populations that were enslaved. We may try to forcibly forget it, but the truth has always been there. How many laws did we have before the Civil War to enforce racism and slavery? Let's name some, shall we? The Fugitive Slave Act that was passed in 1793, ten years after the American Revolution. This allowed seizure of slaves that had run away to free or other states. Then we have the free versus slave state debate. Northern states had abolition movements that made some progress, some because freedom does not equal equality, So there were laws that stated which states could have slavery and those that couldn't. Namely, the Missouri Compromise, the Compromise of 1850, the Three-Fifths Compromise, and the Kansas-Nebraska Act. There was also the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which wasn't repealed until 1864. Yeah, that's two Fugitive Slave Acts for you. Yeah, and uh, that doesn't even discuss how slave catchers would sometimes steal freed black people and sell them back into slavery in the South. So now you see... Racism and a refusal to give up the brutalization of human beings for profit. Now, we all know what happened at the end of the Civil War, right? Emancipation. Now, the next episode is going to be dealing with the topic of Abraham Lincoln and why he decided to create the Emancipation Proclamation, so I won't go too far into it, but essentially it meant freedom for the enslaved people in the Confederacy. It was passed as the United States moved into their third year in the Civil War. So, freedom. We're done now. Okay, and the rest is... Freedom does not equal equality. Nor was the Emancipation Proclamation freedom at all. In fact, it only applied to the 11 Confederate states that were at war with the Union. Right you are. See, several things happened after the Emancipation Proclamation. For one, the 13th Amendment was passed into law officially abolishing the end of slavery in the United States. Because the Emancipation Proclamation did not do that. Only a constitutional law could. But if you think the fight was over when that was passed into law, you are really wrong. Especially because of the wording of the 13th Amendment, which I know we'll touch back on later, right? Oh, you know it. But the language is, quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except 
as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction, end quote. Yeah, that except for as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted will come back to us for sure. But even right now, think of that. He's saying slavery is over unless you're a criminal, in which case, it's fair game. Enter Jim Crow. Oh, and before I jump into that, I just want to again shame America for the sheer bullshit education. I was talking to someone on Instagram who was learning her own ignorance and taking the necessary steps to educate herself on the issues, which good on her. I had given her a few sources to research on and I told her to look into Jim Crow, who she thought was a person. And that's not on her, that's on the education system that would simply push aside Jim Crow. Do better, America. So, what is Jim Crow? Because he isn't a person. It isn't a person. It is a group of segregation and disenfranchisement laws that were passed in the 1890s. It was a racial apartheid of the southern United States of America. Because while slavery was illegal, that didn't stop people from doing everything but... And this skips over black codes, which started taking place after the 13th Amendment. Quote, under black codes, many states required blacks to sign yearly labor contracts. If they refused, they risked being arrested, fined, and forced into unpaid labor. Oh, gosh. That sounds an awful like, well, golly gee, I can't put my finger on it. Hmm. Maybe an institution that we just abolished? I think the term you're looking for is, um, fucking slavery. Fucking slavery. Because... Black codes in Mississippi, quote, required blacks to have written evidence of employment for the coming year each January. If they left before the end of the contract, they would be forced to forfeit earlier wages and were subject to arrest, end quote. In South Carolina, quote, a law prohibited blacks from holding any occupation other than farmer or servant unless they paid an annual tax of $10 to $100. Which was so, so much money back then. This provision hit free blacks already living in Charleston and former slave artisans especially hard. In both states, blacks were given heavy penalties for vagrancy, including forced plantation labor in some cases. End quote. Yeah, the police enforced this stuff. And black codes turned into Jim Crow. And Jim Crow affected almost every single aspect of everyday life. It segregated drinking fountains, schools, parks, restrooms, buses, public transportation, restaurants, among everything else. They would mark places by signs that read white or colored, and you were not allowed to mix. It comes back to the phrase, separate but equal. They both got certain things, but they were separate from one another. But they sure as hell weren't equal. Not really at all. See, black people got the worst of everything. Rundown facilities, old textbooks, you name it. But worse is that in most places in the South, they tried to suppress voting. Oh, I didn't know we were talking about what's happening today. In that case, I just want to bring up... No, no, no. We're talking about then. Oh. Yeah, history repeats itself if we fail to learn. Can you repeat that one more time for the people in the back? History History repeats repeats itself itself if if we we fail fail to learn. learn. Back to it. Yes, most black people were, quote, systematically denied the right to vote in most of the rural South through selective applications of literacy tests and other racially motivated criteria, unquote. But the police are there. Shouldn't a system that was made with racist intentions help those people? Nope. It was the local officials and the police 
that upheld Jim Crow. Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> This was reinforced by acts of terror by what PBS calls vigilantes, but really they were the KKK. Ah, the American-born terrorist group, which we will be doing a whole episode on later. Uh, if I may, fuck the KKK. Oh, if I may, fuck the KKK. And if I may conclude, fuck the KKK. Yeah, the KKK would use tactics like lynching to instill fear into black people. It was. And is terrorism. Oh, but this whole Jim Crow stuff just happened in the South, right? Oh, wrong. No. See, as much as the North likes to seem high and mighty about us being progressive, racism was still very much alive and well. Quote, it was also practiced in the Northern United States via housing patterns enforced by private covenants, bank lending practices, and job discrimination, including discriminatory labor union practices. This kind of de facto segregation has lasted well into our own time, unquote. That means today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it, it's lasting. You know, it's our current time. It's happening now. See, allowing Jim Crow and black codes allowed for slavery to continue. It allowed racial discrimination to continue. It allowed the policing of black people to be woven more tightly into the fabric of our nation. Slavery did not end if black codes still got you enslaved without using the term. Slavery didn't end if Jim Crow let you have lesser facilities and a segregated world. Slavery did not end. Period. It simply changes every single day. The basis of slavery and the basis of the idea of it it still exists and thrives in our current society. That's why the KKK is still here. That's why low-income areas and the projects exist, which I was born in, to be quite honest. That's why we are still not equal. We have never known equality, and we will never know equality unless we make serious change. Now I know what you're thinking, but guys, we don't have segregation. Schools have been desegregated for ages. Well, you're also wrong there. See, this ties into the projects in lower-income areas. They still have poorer quality education than those in rich white neighborhoods. And by poorer quality, I do not mean the teachers. I mean the textbooks, the school facilities, the resources, the funding. While schools in predominantly white neighborhoods have funding facilities and resources, the way to desegregate schools is to make sure that there is integration to these schools with more resources. Leaving it up to district schools, which do not do that. They bypass it. See... Jason and I are an example. We grew up in a white district. I think we had two people of color in our school, maybe three. And that isn't integration. That's still segregation in a different word. My high school was integrated. It took people from multiple districts and put them all under one roof. That is integration. So no, not even all of Jim Crow ended. It's just transformed and it's still here today. Now let's get into the prison system for a bit. Because most of us have learned that at least a little bit of something about the civil rights movement. So let's just jump to a little bit after that. The 1970s and Richard Nixon and a little something called the war on drugs, which brings us into the mass incarceration portion of the podcast. Because how else can you keep people in check more than by arresting them and sentencing them to jail time, which in some states like Louisiana include slave labor? Ooh, the... Uh the wording on the 13th Amendment comes back for that one, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Slavery didn't end. It transformed. So, what was the war on drugs? Or, I guess, is, since that never really ended either, did it? 
the war on drugs is something declared by Nixon in 1971. He stated that drug abuse was public enemy number one, which, to be fair, was true. There was tons of drug abuse coming out of the 1960s, so this was natural progression of how to cut down on it. Quote, Nixon increased federal funding for drug control agencies and proposed strict measures such as mandatory prison sentencing for drug crimes. He also announced the creation of the Special Action Office for Drug Abuse Prevention, SAODAP, which was headed by Dr. Jerome Jaffe, end quote. Nixon made the DEA or Drug Enforcement Administration in 1973. At its start, it was given just over 1,400 agents and $75 million in funding. Today, it has over 4,000 agents and over $2 billion in funding. Now here's where we say the war on drugs had racist undertones, or rather, we will have Nixon's domestic policy chief say so instead. In a 1994 interview, John Ehrlichman, who was Nixon's domestic policy chief, stated, quote, The Nixon campaign had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people, unquote. And, quote, We knew we couldn't make it illegal to either be against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. Now, Ronald Reagan expanded the war on drugs when he was in office. Quote, In 1986, Congress passed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which established mandatory minimum prison sentences for certain drug offenses. This law was later heavily criticized as having racist ramifications because it allocated longer prison sentences for offenses involving the same amount of crack cocaine, used most often by black Americans, as powder cocaine, which was used most often by white Americans. Five grams of crack triggered an automatic five-year sentence, while it took 500 grams of powder cocaine to merit the same sentence. Yeah. And now the mass incarceration of black men and women is astoundingly high on top of that. So let's get to some statistics. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, quote, In 2017, the imprisonment rate for sentenced black males, 2,336 per 100,000 black males in the U.S., was almost six times that of the sentence of white males, only 397 per 100,000 white males. And for black women, the rate for black females in prisons per 100,000 black females in the population was almost double that for white females. 92 per 100,000 black women um, compared to 49 per 100,000 white women in the U.S. Oh, now let's have some more. In, quote, in 2014, African Americans constituted 2.3 million or 34 percent of the total 6.8 million correctional population. African Americans are incarcerated at more than five times the rate of whites. The imprisonment rate for African American women is twice that of white women. Though African Americans and Hispanics make up approximately 32 percent of the United States population, they comprised of 56 percent of all incarcerated people in 2015. If African Americans and Hispanics were incarcerated at the same rates as whites, prison and jail populations would decline by almost 40%, end quote. And if you're like, well, how does this relate to the war on drugs? Here's 
another statistic for you. Quote, African-Americans and whites use drugs at similar rates, but the imprisonment rate of African-Americans for drug charges is almost six times that of whites. End quote. And I would say the rest is history, but the rest isn't history. The rest is present. The rest is now. So yeah, slavery and slave patrols have led us here. This is America, so systemically entwined in racism that when we protest racism, people think we are protesting the nation. Police are murdering unarmed black people every single day, and most times their cases get pushed aside for years like Elijah McClain. So many people have been murdered and haven't received justice no matter what we do like Breonna Taylor. Sometimes it takes public outrage for murderers to get arrested even when there is video evidence of premeditated murder like Ahmaud Aubrey. This is the system that we have built and this is what we are protesting. Black lives matter and they always have even if our country has never acknowledged it. Our generation, this generation, we're making real change. So yeah. Some people might get uncomfortable with what's going on, but black people deserve justice, reform, change, and equality. And we white people have a duty to stand up and be real allies, not just performative allies. We have a duty to educate ourselves and speak out, try and educate ignorant family members, put it all out there on social media, make a podcast episode, anything. And speak the fuck up when you see injustice happening. Because if we've seen with mass shooters, they always take the white people alive. Because a black kid with a toy gun is more of a threat than a white man that committed mass murder. Without the history or knowledge of this, people won't understand. And there are some that never will. But I hope that if you've listened to this podcast, it's because you want to learn. The police system was created with racist intentions and needs a complete overhaul. The government passed laws making it easier for cops to get away with the murder of unarmed black men and women. And yes, there are good apples and there are bad apples in the police. But just like when you have a bad apple, you throw it out. And just like when you have a bad banana, you throw it away before it can rot the rest in the bunch. And learning about things like this is very important for the future of our nation because, you know, as... I was doing this, you know, I mean, uh, the black community, we know all about Nixon and, and Reagan and, you know, they're, they're very evil, evil men. But hearing how, um, just how rampant and how convoluted and how planned the destruction of, you know, minorities and, and the black race was, you know, how deep those roots really went. It really made me emotional, you know. There were some things I couldn't read because uh, I just was too strung up with emotion. So it's important for you. This isn't a game. This isn't a game. It's important for you to listen, to learn, and to teach, and do your best to try to help the situation as much possible, please. Um, I encourage you to stick around for the rest of the month. We're doing episodes on pieces of history that were not taught in school. We have done heavy research on these topics, and we're really proud to be doing our part to make sure that the next generation doesn't know the racism that this generation faced or the generations before that. So we implore you. I've heard it said before, and I'm going to acknowledge it. We are not here to erase history. As much as some people say we're here to erase history, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to erase it. We're here to shine a fucking spotlight on it. 
you can't get rid of something that's evil inside of you unless you acknowledge that it's there. So please, if you have any other topics you want us to touch on, just reach out. We want to use this platform to educate and be collaborative in what we teach. You can reach us at Gmail, at FastPassPodcast, or on Twitter, at FastPass1. And Chris, just thank you so much for... Thank you guys, honestly. Thank you for coming, man. And stay tuned, because he's got his own episode that's coming out later this month. And until next time, no no justice, justice, no no peace. peace.